A lot of times things happen you don't know what to do. We got a we got a phone call this week and uh, an emergency call and uh, Bev was on the phone and with our daughter Debbie up and I started to say Cincinnati, but I got to be careful about that. It's on the Kentucky side of the river and they're pretty picky about that. So uh, they might might be listening by way of our broadcast. So from Kentucky, not not Cincinnati. And uh, anyway, uh, she was bawling, as you probably would be if you walked in, and and she just got news that the, the entire living room ceiling had fallen in. Uh, when I say fallen in, I'm talking about it was all on the floor, all the insulation, the sheetrock, and, and, and in fact, some way they've got that heating system where it runs in uh, in in the plaster it, it was a mess beyond belief but uh, anyway that was kind of the start of it and uh, don't really know exactly what's going on they had a tornado near there here a while back and uh, they began to discover that the house has come they've lived there like 30 years and the house is literally coming apart in other places and she posted this on Facebook, and I, I, I jotted it down verbatim to read. Said, it's such an eerie feeling being alone in my house waiting for the insurance people on Friday the 13th. Oh, and I went through the drive through to get breakfast, and my order total 666. Well, I'm glad that she uh, still has a sense of humor through all of that. But I, I mention that because, as you know, if you've lived very long, we all have those times whenever it feel like we're living under a curse. Those days when absolutely nothing seems to go right. And believe it or not, God is still in control. Not only is he in control, but God can take the very worst that you could imagine and turn it into something more glorious than you ever dreamed. If anyone knew about that, it was the Apostle Paul. And I want you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter number 12. 2 Corinthians 12. In the first part, of this chapter, Paul begins to relate an experience, an out-of-body experience, and you might say in one sense, he said he couldn't tell whether he was in the body or out of the body, but he was caught up into the third heaven. That just, that alone tells us a lot. I mean, he is caught up into the third heaven. He saw things that are not lawful for man to, to utter. And, you know, it would be hard to have an experience like that and not come back and say, man, I'm going to write a book about that. Somebody asked me some time ago, some fellow had supposedly died and gone to heaven and he wrote a book about it and somebody said, I got that book, it's wonderful. Uh, would you read it, or, you know, if I bring it to you? I said, no, I won't read it. And they said, well, why not? I said, because I don't believe it. 
what Paul saw there was unlawful for him to talk about. Now, you know, I don't know what gives this guy a license to talk about it when Paul couldn't, but, uh, you know, you can believe what you want, but I, I still don't believe it. And Paul said, I couldn't talk about these things, but, but even if, you know, even if you didn't talk about it and make a movie out of it, write a book about it, there's still that temptation to think, wow, there must be something really special about me. God just gave me this revelation that nobody else has ever had. I mean, I must be, you know, I must be his favorite kid. I, you know, this, listen, human nature doesn't change. And so you know this kind of stuff would be running around in his mind, but notice verse 7. And lest I should be exalted above measure... Through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, three times, that it might depart from me. And he said, that is God said, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in my infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak... Then am I strong. I would love to take the first part of verse 9 as the text for my message today. It's one of my favorite statements in all of the Bible, and I've preached about it time and time again, where God says, My grace shall be sufficient. But that's not my text today. My text is found in verse number 10, and before we look at it, though, I want you to notice how verse 9 ends and how verse 10 begins. In verse 9, he says at the close of it, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory, boast, brag in my infirmities. And then he opens up verse 10 by saying, Therefore, I take pleasure. In infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses. Wow, are you kidding me? Do you realize how remarkable that is? How is that even possible to make a statement like that and to mean it with all of your heart? I, I'm really impressed by those two words that Paul uses in verse 9 where he says, Most gladly. You've heard me say, what can't be cured must be endured. But this goes way beyond that. This tells us that what can't be cured can actually even be not just endured, but actually enjoyed. You know, it's amazing what some people have endured, but it's even more amazing that a lot of them have endured those things gladly without a word of complaint whatsoever. They've gone through those tough times and rough roads and 
valleys and hills and all of those hardships without any complaint and and a smile on their face and joy in their heart. And no, no doubt there's some of us to think, you know, that's not even possible. Notice and pay close attention to what, to the words that Paul uses here in verse 10. Notice, uh, infirmities, that, that, that word means weaknesses, or it, it, it could have reference to sickness or a disease. My infirmities. And notice, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches. That means harm or hurt. In necessities. It's talking about our needs, and it's talking about a state of distress. You are in need, desperate need. I don't know about you, but I don't much like to be in need. If I'm hungry, I want something to eat. I don't like to need something, you know. I, uh, and, and Paul says here, uh, he, he said, I take pleasure in my infirmities and reproaches and necessities. Now notice, persecutions. I don't, I don't much like getting beat on, do you? I, I, somebody, you know, trying to kill you and persecute you, that, it's not a very pleasant experience. That'll get you down in the dumps in a hurry. And, and Paul says here, notice he said, I'll take pleasure in my persecutions. And then notice he uses the word distresses. That means anguish. Now keep in mind that Paul is speaking out of his experience. This is not something he read in a book. This is not something he heard in a lecture. This is not something somebody told him. It's something he has gone through. Notice in chapter number 11, and let's just read, uh, say, beginning in verse number 25. He says, Thrice was I beaten with rods, once I was stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck, a night and a day have I been in the deep. In journeyings, often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils by my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings, often in hunger and thirst, in fastings, often in cold and nakedness. And he said, he goes on and says, and besides all of those things, he said, uh, there cometh upon me daily the care of the churches. In other words, I've still got a job to do. I've still got to take care of the churches, even though I've gone through all of these things. So Paul is speaking to us out of his experiences. Now, keep in mind, these are things that, that in a sense, they are forced upon us against our will. In other words, these are things that we would like to avoid. These are things that none of us would choose for ourselves. We would rather that life be delightful rather than difficult, you know. We want to escape rather than experience things like this. And even if we somehow endure such hardships, we don't enjoy it, do we? We usually complain about it. Most of the time we think of our weakness as what? A hindrance, a roadblock. We think about it as something that instead of helping is going to hinder us. And, you know, maybe we're not as smart as we think we are. Paul come to the conclusion that weakness was the way to win. 
In other words, weakness was a means whereby he was enabled to do what he ordinarily couldn't do. He's telling us that weakness can be a blessing instead of a burden or instead of a barrier, something holding us back. And so instead of getting bitter, instead of using weakness as an excuse for our failure, we need to, we need to embrace it as a means to win. And this morning, the title of the message today is Winning Through Weakness. Notice he says in verse 10, he says, When I'm weak, then I am strong. Spurgeon said, How can anything, you know, so bad be, be good? But he, he answered that question with these words. He said, Anything is a blessing which makes us pray. So how can you imagine somebody, now keep in mind, we're talking about Paul. Here's a man who loved God, a man who is totally sold out to God. He's willing to go anywhere, do anything God wants him to do. He's not somebody that would skip church every chance he gets. He's not somebody looking for the easy way. He's someone that is totally committed to the cause of Christ. And yet, he is subjected to all of these hardships that we've just been talking about. So how can anything so bad be so good? Well, Paul gives us the answer. When I'm weak, he says, then am I strong. Now, that's not what most people would say. Most people say, whenever I'm weak, I'm doomed. When I'm weak, you know, I'm weak. I can't go on. And Paul's saying just the opposite. We say, blessed are the strong. Paul says, no, 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 no. Blessed are the weak. Now, I don't want to preach a sermon on it, but I want just in order to get the context, let me give you an outline of what the sermon would be. Because I want you to understand, the, get the whole picture and understand where Paul is coming from. Notice in verse 7 is the problem. He says that he was given a thorn in the flesh. We could talk a lot about what that is, and we don't really know. Some have suggested that it was poor eyesight as a result of the stoning he received at Lystra. And, and there's, I, I think that's probably the best guess, but we don't know exactly what it is. But, but that's the problem, a thorn in the flesh. For somebody else, it would be cancer, heart disease. I, I don't know. It's just a shot in the dark. I don't know. But he's physically affected by some affliction. That's the problem. Now, notice verse 7 is the purpose of this. He says, lest I should be exalted above measure. You know, that, that shows us there something about the danger of pride and the importance of humility. I, listen, pride is a serious problem if God will take His children and subject them to such suffering as this in order to prevent pride in their life. It's easy to see how serious it is, right? And so this is the purpose behind the problem. God's the one running the show, by the way, not Paul. Notice the plea, verse 8. Three times, he says, I besought the Lord. Three times I asked God to, to remove this out of my life. Boy, I'll tell you, if anything, it'll drive you to your knees and make you call out in prayer. It's whenever you uh, just left the doctor's office with a horrible diagnosis of some kind. 
doctor maybe says, you know, I've, I've done all I can do. It's all in God's hands now. That'll make you pray when nothing else will. Paul said, I prayed three times. God said no every time. But notice the promise in verse 9. God said, you know, I'm not going to take away the thorn. I'm not going to remove the problem. But he said, my grace is sufficient for thee. And you don't have any idea how difficult it is for me to just go on without spending 30 minutes or an hour talking about this because this is one of the most precious promises in all of God's Word, that God's grace is sufficient. So many times we think, you know, if this ever happened to me, I, 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 I don't think I could go through it. I couldn't make it. I couldn't go on. I, I couldn't take that. It would destroy me. Let me tell you, you don't know what you can endure until you, until you experience it. And I'm telling you, regardless of what it is, a child of God in the will of God can endure anything through the grace of God. There's absolutely nothing that will ever happen to you that God can't bring you through by His grace. This is supernatural sufficiency. That's what God's telling him. Paul, you're going to have to live with this problem, but my grace will be sufficient. Now, now this is where we're going to pitch our tent and camp out. Verse 10, here we see the prophet, the prophet of the problem where Paul says, for when I'm weak, then I am strong. Now, I want you to notice something really important about this, and that is that God doesn't just assist us in the sense that He enables us to endure things, but He aids us. In other words, He doesn't just help, help us get through it, He makes us better for it. And Paul is wanting us to know that there can be a blessing out of buffeting. There can be profit in pain. Now, don't misunderstand what he's saying. It's not the weakness itself that he cherished, but what it produced. In other words, you know, I don't know anybody's ever had a migraine headache that, you know, that could really honestly say, well, glory to God, I've been waiting on one of these all month. Thank God I got another one of those horrible migraines. No, Listen, nobody rejoices over the problem itself. So it's not the weakness itself that's got Paul so excited, but it's what it produces. And it produced strength, which enabled him to do what he couldn't do before. He is now so weakened as a result of the problem that now he's totally dependent upon God and willing to, willing to, to embrace the grace of God and be blessed by it. I don't know whether you realize it or not, but most of the time when we fail, it's at what we perceive to be our strong point. If you don't believe that, just read the Bible. And there are many examples there. You think about Moses, for example, and you think about the way in which God has commended certain people for certain things, and then you turn around and look at their point of failure, and you discover that, wait a minute, they fail where they are the strongest. I, I, I think about Moses. I'm telling you what, 
you'd have to be a great man to put up with all of the nonsense he put up with all of the murmuring and the complaining. And yet, even when it reached the point that Moses was disallowed to enter into the promised land, in other words, when there's no profit in it for him whatsoever, he continued on in that journey in the wilderness leading those people. I, I think I'd have said, I'm, I'm retiring. I'm out of here. I quit. You bunch of knuckleheads, you won't listen to what I say. You won't follow what I do. You know, it's just useless for me to, to stay here and try to minister to you. But he didn't. He stuck with it. But he failed. He failed in his strong point in that he smote the rock and anger momentarily got the best of him and he failed. We think about David. Here's a man after God's own heart. Oh, yeah, but that evening out on the balcony, whenever he looked out and he saw Bathsheba, things began to change, and all of a sudden, David, a man after God's own heart, failed miserably. I think about Solomon. Here's a man known for what? Well, known for his great wisdom. He did about the dumbest thing anybody could ever do. He started taking one wife after another, after another, after another. How dumb can you get? And, and, and to think that's going to work out for good? Are you kidding me? That, that's where he failed. And you go through the Bible and look at all of these great men and where they failed, and they failed where they were considered to be strong. That's why it's important that we understand that pride will destroy us and we need those difficulties, those trials that bring us to our knees, that cause us to see our need of God. Paul said, you know, when I'm weak, that's when I'm really strong. And I'm telling you, whether you realize it or not, the same thing is true of you. So many times, you know, that if we're in good health and we've got a little jingle in our pockets and everybody's glad-handiness glad and, boy, I mean, we got the world by the tail on a downhill swing and everything's going our way and we're happy-go-lucky and God can't even hardly get through to us in a state of mind like that. You know, sometimes we think about those that are down and out, you know, in skid row. We think about how difficult it is to reach those people. And what we don't understand is that uh, I think most of the time it's more difficult to reach the high and the mighty. Those living the lifestyle of the rich and the famous because they don't see their need of God. Oh, if they got a problem, they got plenty of money. They get in trouble, they can get the best lawyer. I mean, boy, they've, they've got it all, and they don't see their need of God. But God has a way of turning the tables on us and bringing us down to where all of a sudden our weakness becomes apparent. When I am weak, that's when I'm really strong. Now, let's, let me make a few observations from this, and we'll be through. I didn't say we'd be short. I said we'll be through. The first thing is life is tough. Whether we're good or whether we're bad, life is tough. Job said, man, this born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. That's true of every single one of us. 
Life is tough. Don't, don't you think for a moment that you're going to get out unscathed. I'm telling you right here, right now, you might make it a lot of years, you know, and seemingly without any big problems, but the bottom can fall out overnight. Life is tough for all of us. Number two, we are all weak and in need of strength. Now, we don't all realize that, but Whenever push comes to shove, and you get right down to the nitty-gritty where the rubber meets the road and the problems slap you upside the head and awaken you and you begin to realize, I am not strong enough to deal with this problem in our life. And as I said, usually we don't turn to God till we see our need. It's kind of like the old saying, you can't get a man saved till you get him lost. In other words, he's got to see that he's a sinner in need of salvation before he'll ever think about being in need of a Savior. And he's got to understand that. That's why as preachers we preach the law as the Bible commands us to do. We preach showing that God has a standard of right and wrong and that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. But just as the sinner needs to understand that he is a sinner in need of God, sometimes the saints lose sight of that and we start thinking, you know, that we can make it just fine without him looking over our shoulder and interfering with our life. We're getting along good, getting along fine. Now, we really need God, you know, dictating to us how we ought to live or anything. But then God, in ways that only God can, God enables us to see our need. And usually we don't see our need until we're hard-pressed by some trial in our life, some great difficulty. And then all of a sudden we come face to the face with the fact that we got a problem that we can't solve. And God brings us to the end of ourself. And as confusing as it is to us, it might be that God either causes or God allows those trials to come in order to weaken us. I've often said you can't help some people by helping them. You can't help them till they hit rock bottom and they have nowhere to look but up. And I'm telling you, God's not playing games. God is actively involved in our lives. He is on a mission, according to Romans 8 and verse number 29. We all know verse 28, right? But Sometimes we forget about verse 29. What's God trying to do? God is on a mission, and that mission is to conform us to the image of His dear Son. He's at work in our life. We can be lax about Christian discipline, such as prayer and Bible study and fasting and all of those things. We can Listen, we can ignore those things, but you better mark it down. God's going to take action and God's going to do something in order to awaken us. And trials are a part of that process. That's why he said in Romans 8, 28, that all things work together for good to those who love the Lord and the called according to His purpose. All of those bad things, painful things, difficult things, all of those things work together for some good. It doesn't say everything's good, but they all work together for some good. So the bad things become good things 
when they weaken us to the point that we see that we need God's help. Now, let me give you something very important, and don't miss this. We're talking about the fact that we've all got problems, we all need help, and God helps us to see our need of help. But according to verse 9, it's very clear, our attitude affects how we are affected by our trials. Our attitude affects how we are affected by our trials. You, 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 you see, our trials are not for us to choose. It's not like God sends you an email or a letter or a note saying, all right, here's a list of things that you can choose from for the day. Take, take your pick. No, they just happen, don't they? You don't, have, you don't have any say-so in the choice. We can't choose them. We can't change them. We can't control them because God allowed them or God caused them. And all we can do is to choose how we respond to them. And I'm telling you, that matters. Our response to those things matters and it matters a lot. And in light of the fact that in our weakness we are most strong, in light of that, we need to consider what our response to this should be. For example, we ought to listen to God and His Word, whether it's His commands, His counsel, His promises. If there's ever a time that we need to listen to God, it's then. We need to listen to God. We need to learn all we can about God and how God deals with us. A lot of people are really confused by this because they get saved and they think that getting saved, becoming a Christian, that's going to end all my problems. It's going to solve everything. Now I can be happy and everything's going to be all right. And wow, the next day the roof falls in. Everything starts going wrong. Learn all you can about God and how He deals with us. Then a lot of times people say, well, I, don't know why, I don't know why God let that happen to me. Really? Whom the Lord loveth, He chasteneth and scourgeth every son that He receives, the Bible says. Let me tell you right now, if you're a child of God and not in the will of God, you're going to get a spanking sooner or later. God's going to take you to the woodshed and He's going to work you. You might as well expect it. You need to learn how God deals with His children. And as I said, He's not playing games. So learn all you can about God and the way He deals with us. Lean upon Him for strength and support in your time of need. You know, so many people think it's got to be more difficult than that. You know, you preacher, you just keep saying, well, you just need to trust God. I'm, I'm telling you, that's the only thing that works. You know, somebody could come forward and say, preacher, I've got this problem and I don't, I don't, I don't know what to do. I've, it's more than I can handle. I, I don't know what to do. And I could say, well, turn 10 somersaults right across here and that, that'll help. Do 50 push-ups. I say, see Brother Ron after the service and, you know, get, give a check for $500. That, that'll, that'll really help you with your problem. 
Isn't it amazing how we complicate everything when the Bible just says the just shall live by faith? And the Lord says, my grace shall be sufficient for you. I'm telling you, just lean upon Him and believe what He said. And not only that, we ought to love Him because of what He's doing. I know, you know, we want our life to be fun and easy, don't we? But I'm telling you, God loves you too much to let that happen. He knows what it takes to make you the person that you ought to be, and we ought to love Him for loving us so much. Paul's problem was physical. Paul's problem was painful. It was perplexing, but it had a purpose in it, and it was profitable in that it accomplished something in his life. It made him aware of his weakness, and that's what gave him strength. In other words, there was a blessing in his brokenness. There was profit in his pain. There was a way to win, but it was through weakness, not through strength. And still, what do we do? We ask why, don't we? We're all guilty. Why? I, I don't understand why this happened. I don't understand how any good could possibly come out of it. You see, we're all perplexed by our pain. And the reason is because we fail to see a purpose in it. But just because you don't see a purpose in your problem doesn't mean there is not a purpose to your problem. And it's important that we understand that even though we don't see the reason for our problem, it's important that we realize there is a reason. And God's not always talking. He's not always, you know, going to come out and explain what He does. He he just does it. And when our response is as it should be, and as Paul's was, all of a sudden, everything begins to change. Now listen carefully, and I'm through. If we can discover the purpose in our trials, and knowing God's promise to sustain us, it will help us to have a lot better attitude toward those trials, right? Just knowing the purpose, just why, Uh, Did this happen to me? And, And I'm telling you, there is a reason. God has a goal for each and every one of us. God has a purpose for each and every one of us. It's God's intent for you and I that we, number one, experience His grace. You got it? Experience His grace. Paul said, Lord, three times he said, I've asked you to take this away. And the Lord said, what? No, but my grace will be sufficient. He wanted Paul to experience His grace. You see, without these hardships, without these problems, without these difficulties, he'd have never had that experience. How do, how do you talk to somebody about the, the greatness of God's grace that has never had, had the experience of His saving power? They don't know anything about it. That's why the angels don't know anything about redemption. And they look with wonder at what's going on in the world today. And they don't know anything about it. But those of us 
that have been rescued out of the gutters of sin, we know something about it, don't we? Amen? We've experienced His grace. But that, listen, that's just part of the equation concerning the purpose. God not only wants us to experience His grace, God wants us to express His glory. And, 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 and that's exactly, you read this story and whenever you come to the bottom line and it's all over, I don't know about you, but I don't, I, I, I don't sit back and say, wow, boy, I'll tell you what that Paul, he was a humdinger. He was really something. That guy was, wow. I, I think I'll write a song about Paul. No. I read that and, uh, I'll tell you what comes to my mind. Hallelujah, what a Savior who can take a poor lost sinner, lift him from the miry clay, and set him free. I will ever tell the story shouting, Glory, glory, glory! Hallelujah, Jesus rescued me. My my thoughts are on God and the greatness of God. And that's certainly true of Paul because Paul is the one who, who said... You know, he he wasn't going to boast in anything except what? The Lord. The only thing he bragged about was Jesus. And that's what our trials will do. Our trials enable us to experience God's grace and express God's glory. Do you have any reason why you're, you know the reason why you're here on earth? Why you exist? Now, this might, this might, pop your bubble, but I'm telling you, it's not about you. You're not important at all. I'm not important at all. It's not at all about you. It's not why you're here. The Bible tells us we've been created for His glory. Created for His glory. That makes it very clear that if through my response to the manner in which God deals with me, through my manner of life, my behavior, my attitude. If my life doesn't glorify God, there's no reason for my life. No reason to be here whatsoever. Because God's not leaving us here just so we can enjoy it. Paul said to depart and be with Christ would be far better. Wow, no more arthritis, no more migraines, no more, no more problems, no more bills to pay, no more arguments. Heaven will surely be worth it all. No, yeah, going to be wonderful there, just like the song says. Won't it be wonderful there? Yes, it will. But, but we're still here, and we're here that we might bring honor and glory to the one who gave his all for us. Trust Him. Trust Him. Because He's never lied and He's never failed. Let's all stand together. Father, how thankful we are far beyond what we can even express in words. And Lord, whenever we come to the end of ourselves and we can't even think of a word to describe how we feel, we know that You know our heart. And Lord, we truly love you and thank you for your goodness. Even when your goodness is manifested by way of some difficulty that brings us to our knees, that makes us aware of really how how weak we are. 
And it causes us to begin to realize how, how great and how good you are. That you not only would help us through our time of difficulty, but you would use it to bring a transforming effect to our life and to make us more like Jesus. Heavenly Father, if there's someone here this morning that's never received Christ as their Savior, I pray they'll trust you here this morning and be saved. Heavenly Father, if there are those that are your children that are going through difficulties and have questions dancing around in their mind and they have yet to really decide exactly how they're going to respond. Some of them are tempted to get bitter and to murmur and complain. And I just pray this morning that something said here today will help each one of us to bring about a proper response to your providence in our life. We don't ask it for any selfish reason, but rather we ask and plead with you to answer our prayer this morning that you might be glorified in all things. But we beg it in Jesus' dear name. Now as we stand and sing, if God's speaking to your heart, would you come, whether it's in need of salvation or maybe God is directing you here as a member or those awaiting baptism, if you will just... Come right ahead, and Brother Rick Morris is right back there by the door, one of our deacons, and he'll meet you there and, uh, and take you to be prepared for the baptismal service.